Good morning. Uh, it is so good to be here this morning. Uh, like Eric said, my name is Seth, and I'm on staff with a ministry called The Traveling Team. Uh, and as a staff member of The Traveling Team, I travel a lot. Eight months out of the year, I'm on the road uh, going state by state, campus by campus, ministry by ministry, sharing this message, sharing this message with college students about God's heart for the nations and his purpose and his plan for our lives. Um, So before I was on staff with the traveling team, I actually worked for Delta Airlines down in Bloomington, and I worked for Delta for one reason and one reason only, free flights. So this took me all over the world. I've been to uh, New Zealand and Turkey and Vietnam, Thailand, all over Europe because of my job with Delta. I loved it, but there's a catch. And the catch is that you can only get on the plane if there's an empty seat. So this is called flying standby, and most of the time, it's amazing. I mean, I've been to all of those countries, but every once in a while, you find yourself in a rather undesirable situation. Two summers ago, my family and I, we went to Germany, and it was amazing. I climbed through the Alps, swam in some of the most beautiful lakes I'd ever seen, and I'm pretty sure I ate all of the sausage in Germany. It was awesome. We had a great time. And as we're uh, getting ready to come back, I checked the website to see how many empty seats there were on the plane. There's 15 empty seats. There's 15 empty seats, and there's four of us. I was there with my mom, my dad, and my brother. Uh, So I don't know how good you are at math, but I'm getting on this plane. And not only am I getting on this plane, but I'm flying first class. And I don't know if you've ever flown first class internationally, but it's amazing. I'll paint a little picture for you. You walk on the plane... They offer you champagne or orange juice, so obviously you grab the orange juice. You sit down on your chair uh, that lays all the way down. It lays into a bed, but you're not sleeping. You're not sleeping on this trip because you're going to get weighted on hand and foot. They bring you steak dinners, and they let you use real silverware. You wake up, if you do fall asleep, you wake up with a nice warm chocolate chip cookie next to your face. It's like the best experience ever. They pass around these warm towels, and I have no idea what to do with those, but I just, like, kind of look around and, like, dab my face. I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's incredible. So I go to bed excited for a 15-hour, no, it was 10 hours, 10-hour flight the next day, uh, and I don't know if you've been excited for a 10-hour flight, but that's what first class does. I'm excited for this flight. Go to sleep, wake up the next morning, check the website again, and there's only 12 open seats. There's 12 open seats. There's four of us. Uh, I'm, I'm not really that nervous. I might not end up in first class, but I'm getting on this plane. We get to the airport, ask the ticket agent how many empty seats there are on the plane, and there's nine empty seats. So I'm starting to get a little bit nervous, like these seats are going somewhere, I don't know where they're going. And as we go through security, I'm loading the page that shows me how many seats there are, and there's nine, eight, seven, and as we leave security, there are only four seats left. And I'm so nervous at this point. I'm so nervous, I just want to get on this plane, put me next to the toilet, put me on the toilet, I don't care. I just want to get back to America. And as we walk up to the gate agent, she hands a ticket to my mom, my dad, and my brother, who are all here right now, and not me. And to add insult to injury, they all flew first class. So as I'm watching my family walk down the jet bridge, my mother is bawling her eyes out because she's leaving her favorite son in a foreign country. And I'm thinking how horrible this standby thing is, how much I hate flying standby. But I can't dwell on that. I have to figure out how to get back to America after my family ditched me. So uh, to make a really, really long story really, really short, Uh, Five trains, four countries, three planes, two hours of sleep, and one Uber later, and I'm finally home. I'm finally home thinking about how horrible this standby thing is. And so many of us are living a standby Christianity. We're just flying by the seat of our pants from job to job, from from church to church, spouse to spouse, uh, boyfriend to boyfriend, girlfriend to girlfriend, whatever it is for you, we're all just jumping uh, from thing to thing. Uh, But in that story, I, I had something very important in my favor. I knew where I was headed. I knew that no matter what, I was getting back to Bloomington, Illinois. 
And God has a purpose. He has a plan for our lives. He shows us his destination in Scripture. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at his purpose, his plan, and what he is inviting us into. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your purpose and your plan. Thank you that you have invited us to play a part in your mission. God, I pray that each and every one of us would leave here this morning uh, knowing your purpose and your plan for our lives and how we can play a part in that. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to paint a picture uh, of two types of Christians. The first is the standby Christian, the person that I was talking about before. Uh, the standby Christian, they read their Bible uh, like, like a high schooler reads their yearbook. What's the first thing you do when you get your yearbook in high school? You look for all the pictures of yourself, right? You find all the pictures of yourself. Uh, oh, man, I looked so good. I didn't look good. But you find all the pictures of yourself. Uh, that's how the, the standby Christian reads their Bible. They, they say, where am I at in this story? How does this apply to my life? And that's good. We should be applying the scriptures to our lives. But the world Christian takes that a step further, and they read the Bible asking themselves, what's the mission that God is on? What is God doing, and how do I fit into that mission? So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at God's mission, and we're just going to fly from Genesis to Revelation, just an overview of the Bible and the mission that God is on. Um, so, so think about that. If, if your New Year's resolution was to, to read through the Bible, or maybe it was to read through the New Testament, uh, or maybe just to read a little bit of the Bible every day, I want to challenge you uh, to read the Bible this year as a world Christian. Ask yourself, what is the mission that God is on, and how do I play a part in that? Um, so we're going to start in the beginning. In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve, and in verse 28 of chapter 1 in Genesis, God gives Adam and Eve the very first command that he had ever given. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Just a few chapters after that, in Genesis 3, sin and death enter the world. And just a few chapters after that, sin gets so out of hand that God decides to flood the earth and start over with a man named Noah. And as Noah is leaving the ark, God actually gives him the same command that he gave Adam and Eve. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And just a few chapters later in Genesis 11, we zoom in on humanity and we see that they've done one of these things really well. They've been fruitful and multiplied. They've done the easy part, but they have not filled the earth. In fact, they've done the opposite. They've gathered together and they've gathered together uh, for a purpose. And their purpose was to build this tower, the Tower of Babel. Uh, And they were going to build the tower to make their name great. They were going to build the tower so that they would be known throughout the earth. But that's not what God's about. God is about making his name known. He's about his name being proclaimed in all the earth. So he goes down and he scatters humanity throughout the planet and and confuses their language. And as Genesis 11 ends, we have a huge, huge problem. Because we have a world full of sinful people not worshiping God. But as we flip the page from Genesis 11 to Genesis 12, we see the beginning of God's plan to fix that problem. We meet this man named Abram, and guys, Genesis 12, 1 through 3 is the most foundational passage in all of Scripture. Because if Genesis 1 through 11 are the introduction, the plot starts in Genesis 12. Because God is going to use Abraham and his offspring to make his name known. He's going to use Abraham and his offspring to fix the problems that, were, uh, that we saw in Genesis 3 and in Genesis 11. So let's look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. If you can read this, that's awesome. If not, um, go ahead and just, you don't have to open your Bibles, just listen, because uh, we're just going to keep flying through verses. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God says to Abram, go from your country, your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So God tells Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. In 4,000 years, everyone's going to be talking about you. Everyone's going to know who you are. And this is true because we're still talking about Abraham, right? God used Abraham, and he made his name great. But he goes on to tell us why he's going to do that, why he's making Abraham's name great, why he is blessing Abraham. He says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all nations on earth shall be blessed. So through you, Abraham, and your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. And as we follow Abraham throughout the Old Testament, uh, we follow his offspring, we see that God is doing this. We see God using Abraham and his descendants to make his name known. So from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to Joshua to David to the prophets to the early church and then finally to us, this is God's purpose. This is his plan to use Abraham and his offspring to make his name known. So if you have ever struggled to understand the Old Testament, if you have ever struggled to understand the Bible for that matter, this is the key that unlocks everything. Because God is telling us, Abraham and your offspring, I'm going to use you to make my name known throughout the earth. And as we follow Abraham and his offspring through Genesis, we see over and over again God repeating himself. And he says this to Abraham's son Isaac. He says, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring all all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God is repeating his promise through you, Abraham, and through you, Isaac, and your descendants, all nations on earth shall be blessed. And then he says this again to Isaac's son, Jacob. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Over and over again. And as we follow the Israelites through Genesis, uh, we, we see that they, they make their way to this land called Egypt. And as Genesis ends and Exodus begins, uh, we, we see that they're enslaved. They're enslaved to this man named Pharaoh. And God says this to Pharaoh. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So God tells Pharaoh, the, the most powerful man on earth, I made you what you are. I made you the most powerful man on earth, and I'm going to tear you down. I'm going to tear you down, and everyone's going to be talking about how great I am. And God does that, right? He brings the ten plagues. He parts the Red Sea, and he leads the Israelites out of Egypt. And we see over and over again people saying, I've I've heard of your God. We meet this woman named Rahab, and she says, I've heard of your God. He parted the Red Sea. He brought the ten plagues. He led you out of Egypt. He tore down Pharaoh. He is truly awesome. And over and over again. And and eventually we find that the Israelites are at war with the Philistines. And the Philistines have the biggest and baddest warrior on the planet, a guy named Goliath. Most of us have heard of the story of David and Goliath. Uh, Whether you grew up in the church or not, uh, you've probably heard of this story. uh, Because it's what every sports movie is about, right? Every sports movie is about David versus Goliath. The little guy being the big guy. And I grew up in the church. And I feel like I was taught this story as, Seth, you're David. And with God on your side, you can do anything. You can defeat any giant that comes your way, any obstacle that comes towards you, you can overcome because you have God on your side. And that's true. With God on our side, we can do anything. We can overcome any obstacle. But that's not the point of this story. And David knew that wasn't the point of the story. David knew that he was about to defeat the greatest warrior on the planet for a very specific reason. And he tells us what that reason is. 
He says, this day the Lord will deliver you, Goliath, into my hand, so that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. David knew that this story was so much bigger than himself. He knew that it was so much bigger than us feeling like with God on our side we could do anything. It was about God's name being proclaimed in all the earth. That was the point of this story. That's the point of the whole Old Testament. And as we follow the Israelites, we continue to follow them. Uh, And in fact, in Psalms, it's repeated over and over again. And in this Psalm that David actually wrote, we see it again. Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. We love this verse, right? American Christians, we, we love this verse because it makes us feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside. It's an awesome verse. We should be able to be still and know that God has everything under control. But have any of you ever noticed the little A in the reference? If you can see that, there's a little A next to the 10. I had to do some pretty extensive research to figure out why they put the A there. And basically what I found out was they put the A in the reference because there's a part B. There's a second half of this verse, but we just cut it off. It must be pretty bad if we just cut it off. Like, be still and know that I am God and go EPG or something like that. Uh, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. This is standby Christianity at its finest, just taking the part of the verse that makes us feel nice and warm and fuzzy inside and cutting off the part about God. Cutting off the part, the the second part's awesome. Like, uh, I will be exalted among the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. Like, that's amazing. We just cut it off. When I was seven years old, I visited the most magical place on earth. Disney World in Orlando, Orlando, Florida. And and I had an amazing experience. I flew through outer space on a rocket. I rode down a waterfall in a log. And I met my hero, Buzz Lightyear. It was was amazing. Uh, And to cap off the night, I saw the most incredible fireworks display that I had ever seen. It was so magical that 15 years later, I applied for an internship with Disney. And I got the internship. And as part of our training, you go through a class called Traditions. And as part of this class, you go on a tour of the Magic Kingdom. And some of you may know this, but underneath Magic Kingdom, there's an entire world of tunnels. The tunnels control all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff at Disney, so I'm down there, and I think I'm awesome. I'm seeing all the -the behind-the-scenes stuff. I'm so cool. And then it happens, the character break room. And I walk in, and I see my hero, Buzz Lightyear, smoking a cigarette. And I look to my right, and I see Pluto making out with Cinderella. And guys, my world was shattered. It was shattered. I will never be able to unsee my hero, Buzz Lightyear, smoking a cigarette. I will never be able to unsee that for as long as I live. Every time I watch Toy Story from now on, Buzz Lightyear, smoking a cigarette. In the same way that I will never unsee that, my prayer for you is that you will never unsee God's heart for the nations in Scripture. That when you see Psalm 4610a, be still and know that I am God, you'll remember that there's a part B. You will remember I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And as you read through the Bible this year, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll see over and over again God using his people to make his name known among the nations. And as you move into the New Testament, you'll see God's call on your life to do the same, to make his name known in all the earth. And as we continue through the Bible and we get to the prophets, it gets even louder. Isaiah 49, uh, we're talking about the coming Messiah, and God says this. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's too small of a thing for me to use you, Jesus, just to save the Israelites. That's too small. I'm not just going to save the Jewish people. He goes on to tell us what he's going to use the Messiah for. 
He says, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. But wait a second, I thought that that's what the whole Old Testament was about. I thought Jesus was plan B. I thought God's plan was just to save the Jewish people and then peace out. No, it is so much bigger than that. God's plan from the beginning was to take salvation to the ends of the earth. That the earth will be filled with a a people who were worshiping God. And you will never unsee this because it is just repeated over and over again in the prophets. Habakkuk 2.14 says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. You cannot unsee this. Zephaniah 2.11 says the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him, everyone in its own land. You cannot unsee this. And Malachi 1.11, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. So as the Old Testament ends, God is screaming, I have a heart for the nations. I have a heart for people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. For from the rising of the sun to, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It will happen. And as we flip the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that salvation that we talked about in Isaiah becomes a lot more clear when we meet this man named Jesus. So let's look at the most famous passage in all of Scripture. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And I don't know about you guys, but for so long I took that word world out of this verse and I plugged my own name in there. For God so loved Seth that he sent his only son. And that's true. Each and every one of us have to make a decision whether or not we want to follow Jesus. That's the gospel, right? That problem that we came across in Genesis 3 of sin and death entering the world is solved in this man, Jesus. It's solved in him by coming and living a perfect life, Dying on the cross for our sins, paying the penalty for our sins, and raising from the dead, conquering sin and death. He made a way that we could be with God forever. And we all have to choose whether or not we want to believe that, whether or not we want him to be the Lord of our lives. So if you are not a follower of Jesus this morning, that's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear that Jesus died for your sins. But if you are a Christian, I want you to take your name back out of that verse and put the word world back in there because for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. We all have to make that decision to have an individual relationship with him but it is so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger than that and when you choose to follow Jesus you become an offspring of Abraham and Paul explains this a little bit better than I can in Galatians 3. Galatians 3 says this, understand that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So when you choose to follow Jesus, you are actually adopted into that family. That promise that was made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is fulfilled in, in us. That we are the, the, the stars of the sky. We are the dust of the earth. We are Abraham's offspring. And as Abraham's offspring, as followers of Jesus, we are given a very specific command. And Eric read it already, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to stop there for a second because I want to look at that that statement, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's like all of the authority that there is. (laughs) Like Jesus is claiming all of the authority in the universe, 
What he's about to say is probably kind of important, right? If you're going to claim all the authority in the universe, you're not going to say something boring. You're going to say something awesome. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gives us this very specific command. Hudson Taylor, a famous missionary to China, says this is not just something to be considered. This is a command to be obeyed. And every single one of us, as followers of Jesus, if we have made that decision, we have to figure out what this verse means for our lives. We have to figure out how to apply it. And maybe, maybe some of you uh, are, are thinking of ways to apply it to your life right now. Uh, and maybe some of you are like, ah, that's, that's not me. I, I believe Jesus died for me, but I don't want to do that. That sounds really, really hard, right? Well, if, if you're trying to find your way out of it, I want to give you three more verses that just reiterate this command. Uh, there are three more verses in the Gospels and then one in the book of Acts. Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Luke 24, 47, forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then Acts 1, 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the command that Jesus gave us. And I want to point out something about these verses. Notice that it doesn't say you'll be my witnesses uh, if your spouse wants to, or you'll be my witnesses if your parents are okay with it, or you'll be my witnesses uh, unless you get that awesome job. It says you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And right now, God is calling most of you to be witnesses right here in Menunk, to proclaim the gospel to the people here. Uh, that, that's God's call on your life. Um, but when, when we ignore this, these verses, when we ignore uh, God's call uh, on our lives to make disciples of all nations, the world ends up looking something like this. This box, uh, this rectangle is known as the 1040 window. Some of you have probably heard of this. It reaches from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, from West Africa all the way out to East Asia. In this area of the world lives 5 billion people. 5 billion people. Of those 5 billion, 3 billion are considered unreached. And when I say unreached, I, I don't just mean unsaved. Like there are tons of unsaved people right here in Menunk. There are tons of unsaved people all over Illinois, all over America for that matter. The difference is these people, uh, they don't know the gospel and they couldn't know it even if they wanted to because they don't have a church on every corner. There's not a redeemer in these places. There's not, uh, they don't have Christian friends. Most of these people have no Christian friends and they might not even have the Bible in their language. So to put that into perspective, if every single Christian in the world shared the gospel with every single person that they had ever met, there would still be three billion people in that box that didn't even hear the gospel. They had no chance to even respond to the greatest news that any of us have ever heard. There are currently 600 churches in America for every one unreached people group in that box. That's, that's insane. And I have a friend, his name is Brooks Buser, and he spent 11 years translating the Bible uh, and planting a church among the Yembe Yembe people in Papua New Guinea. And while he was there, he started to receive letters from another tribe. And this other tribe was asking Brooks to send them a missionary. They, they'd seen the way the gospel had transformed the, the communities around them, and they wanted a piece of it. 
And Brooks received so many letters that he couldn't ignore them anymore. He had to do something. He had to go to the Goat Mambu people and just see what, what they could do. He still had work to do with the MBMB people, but he had to go and see if they could send them someone eventually. Um, so he takes a believer from his tribe with him, an elder from the MBMB people, uh, and they trek the, the 100 miles to this other tribe. And when they get close, they hear this party going on. They hear these drums beating. They hear this celebration happening. And, and the elder turns to, to Brooks and he says, they think you're their missionary. They think you're bringing them the gospel. And they get to the tribe. They explain that they are not their missionaries, that they were just there to, to kind of see the, the lay of the land and see what eventually they could do for them. And the elder from the Goat Mambu people, understanding this, invites them into his hut, sits him down next to two of his wives with, with no teeth and white hair. And he says to them, he says, I, I know that you're not our missionaries, but I have to know. How long until we get our missionary? And it goes through a few translators, gets to Brooks, and Brooks knowing that there's no one targeting this people group, no one planning on bringing them, them the gospel right now. He says it's going to be a long time. Goes back to the translators, gets to the elder. He, he's, he looks upset, and he says, Brooks, I have to know. When I leave this hut, I have to tell my tribe how many moons until we get our missionary. So he says, Brooks, how many moons? How long until we get our missionary? Goes back to the translators, gets to Brooks again, no, not knowing what to say, knowing that there's no one targeting them. He says, it's going to be a lot of moons. I'm sorry, it's going to be a lot of moons. Gets back to the translators, to the elder. This time he stands up and he says, Brooks, you have to tell me. You have to tell me exactly how many moons until we get our missionary. Goes back to the translators again. This time it stops at the elder from the MBMB people who's a believer he turns to Brooks and he says, Brooks, I'll handle this. He stands up and he says, when every single person in this hut with white hair dies, then you'll get your missionary. Because there's no one targeting you. There is no one planning on bringing you the gospel right now. Guys, that's true of over three billion people in this box. Unless something changes, unless someone targets them, there will be no gospel presented to them. Not all of them are begging. Not all of them are begging for the gospel like the Goat Mambu people. In fact, in fact, most of them are hostile towards it, right? But Jesus deserves their worship. Jesus deserves their worship, and he's going to get it. And many of you are thinking, like, how, how is that going to happen? Well, well, John Piper says missions exist because worship doesn't. And right now, there's little to no worship of Jesus going on in that box. So we have to do missions. We have to take the gospel to them. We have to plant churches like Redeemer so that one day there will be a gospel presence in this area of the world. So that one day there will be no tribe, tongue, and nation that has not heard the gospel. I know you're thinking like, okay, that sounds cool. How, how? How do we do it? Well, Paul gives us a pretty good blueprint in Romans. In Romans 10, he says this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? So if I lost you in that verse, I'm going to boil it down into two words. Those two words are go and send. And I personally believe that every single one of us in this room are called to one of those two things. We are all called to either go or send. But what does that look like? I believe we can, we can go in two ways. We can go here and we can go there. And going there is simple. God is sending the nations to America. There are over one million international students studying in America, and most of them are from the 1040 window. Most of them will go back to their home countries. They'll be their future businessmen, their future, future businesswomen, the future politicians in their country. But right now they're here. 
Right now they're here. I hung out with a kid from Saudi Arabia this week. I took him to the doctor. Hanging out with international students doesn't sound amazing, um, but it's fun. And you can share the gospel with someone from Saudi Arabia. Someone who's literally never heard the gospel. Someone who's, who's maybe heard of Jesus but has, has been told lies about him. You can share the gospel with people in America who have literally never heard of Jesus. So we can go here. Then we can go there. And going there is simple. You can get on a plane and you can go to the 1040 window. You can go uh, on short-term trips as a church. You can go for a week or two weeks. Uh, you can go for a summer. If you are in high school or, or college, uh, consider going for, for a few weeks. Consider going for an entire summer. Uh, when you graduate college, summers disappear. Most of us in this room know that, right? You don't have summers anymore. Uh, so consider giving a summer and going to the 1040 window and sharing the gospel with people who have never heard. I spent a year in China, and while I was there, I met a kid named Lincoln. And Lincoln, his English was terrible, and my Chinese was even worse, so I didn't hang out with him. I, I met him in August. April rolled around. He shot me a message on WeChat, which is like Chinese Facebook. And he was like, Seth, let's hang out. I haven't seen you in a while. And I had no one else to hang out with, so I was like, all right. I hung out with Lincoln. His English had gotten way better. My Chinese was still terrible, so we spoke in English. And we, we got to talk about Jesus. Lincoln heard about Jesus, the truth about Jesus for the first time, and he said, that's, that's awesome, but I, I'm Buddhist. I'm Buddhist, and my family's Buddhist, so I'm going to be Buddhist. I'm like, all right, we'll do this Bible study. Come back next week. We'll talk again. He came back the next week. Uh, we, we shared the gospel with him very explicitly, and he said, that's, that's awesome. Can I do, like, this Jesus and Buddha thing? And we're like, no, but come back next week, and we'll, we'll talk some more. Uh, he came back the next week. We shared the gospel with him again, and he said, I believe that Jesus is God and Buddha is not. And the overwhelming response of people, specifically in China, but all over this box is, why have I never heard of this? Why have I never heard of Jesus? Why have I never heard the gospel? Why have I never heard that if I believe in him, that if I repent and turn from my sins, that I could be with him forever? Why have I never heard this? And right now it's estimated that over 20,000 people a day are coming to know Christ in China. The gospel is spreading like crazy there, but we have to continue to take it to them. We have to continue to take the gospel to every single person in that box. Because if something doesn't change, they'll never hear. So we can go here, we can go there, and we can also send. And we can send in two ways. And this is so practical for us in America because we have churches, right? We have Redeemer. We have a home church. We can send in two ways. We can send by giving and by praying. We can give sacrificially. I, I want to point out, going is not more spiritual. Going overseas is not more spiritual, but in the same way that it is not more spiritual, sending should be no less sacrificial. We should all be living a sacrificial lifestyle here. Giving sacrificially to the local church. Giving sacrificially to missionaries who are going to the 1040 window, who are taking the gospel to these people. Because it costs a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to get the gospel to a lot of these places. So we can, uh, we can give and then we can pray. And if you can think of a good excuse for those other three things, you cannot think of a good excuse to not pray. Every single one of us in this room can be praying for that box. We can be praying for the 1040 window. We can be praying for unreached people groups. We can be praying that God would send laborers. Jesus commands us very explicitly to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest field. That he would send missionaries into the 1040 window. We can be praying for that. So we can go and we can send. 
And, and I know you, most of you are thinking, man, that, that's awesome, but this is never going to happen. Did you see some of the countries in that box? Did you see some of the countries in there, like Saudi Arabia, uh, Yemen, that sounds scary, Afghanistan, uh, China, that sounds scary too, Vietnam, like these places, they're never going to re- get reached with the gospel, right? Well, I have two very good pieces of news for you. The first is that we're given the Holy Spirit. Jesus says at the end of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So that in and of itself should give us enough confidence in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But not only that, we are also given this vision. God shows this to John in Revelation. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Man, I don't know if if you guys have read this verse before. I I read it for so long and didn't realize that I was going to be there. Didn't think about the fact that I would be before the throne worshiping Jesus with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We will be there. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of that great multitude. This is God's destination. This is, this is his purpose. This is his plan. This is the end result. But right now, he's inviting you and I into this mission. We should feel a burden for it, but we should also feel an invitation. Like, God is allowing us to play a part in taking the gospel to people who have never heard. Man, that, that message that, that's going to go to the ends of the earth is going to go to the ends of the earth through us, through followers of Jesus, through offspring of Abraham. That's his destination. That's his purpose. That's his plan. So I challenge you to read your Bibles differently this year. Read it in light of God's mission. Read it uh, asking yourself, what is God calling me to do? Am I, am I called to, to welcome uh, international students to ISU? Or am I called to welcome internationals at State Farm? Uh, or or to, to go overseas for, for a week or two weeks to, to build local believers to take the gospel to people who have never heard? Or am I called to go for a year or two years? Or am I called to go for the rest of my life? Or am I called to give sacrificially? Am I called to downsize, to live in a smaller home? Am I called to, to give sacrificially so that people in that box, in the 1040 window, would hear the gospel? Or am I called to pray, to pray like crazy, that one day I would stand before the throne and I would look over and I would see someone that I didn't know, that someone that came up to me and says, Seth, you prayed that my people group would hear the gospel. You prayed that God would send laborers to the 1040 window, and he did. He sent a laborer to my people group, and I heard the gospel because you were obedient, because you shared the God, because you prayed that someone would share the gospel with me, and it happened. Or, or you'll look over and, and you'll maybe see someone that you saw on a short-term trip. You saw someone, uh, you met someone in, in Oman that, that you shared the gospel with, that later came to know Jesus and they came up to you and they said, you're, you're the first person that, that shared the gospel with me. I came to know Jesus because, because eventually I heard the gospel so many times through other missionaries that I had to accept Jesus. I had to, to spend eternity with him. I had to put my faith in him. Or maybe you'll look over and you'll see uh, your friend Aziz from Saudi Arabia. You'll, you'll see him standing before the throne because you shared the gospel with him in, in Bloomington, Illinois, or, or in Manunk. You shared the gospel with someone who had never heard. Man, imagine the privilege uh, of standing before the throne and being there with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation because we were obedient, because Redeemer was obedient to taking the gospel to the nations, to playing a part in sending missionaries to go to the 1040 window. 
So I want to give you guys just a few practical applications as individuals and as a church. Uh, And the first is to just start now. You are a young church. Implant this in your DNA now. Implant a heart uh, for the nations. Start talking about the nations. Start praying for the nations. Uh, In Sunday school, talk about uh, countries of the world that don't have the gospel. Talk about places that have never heard. Talk about unreached people groups. If you have no idea where to start with that, there's an app. There's an app called Unreached of the Day. Download that app and start praying for these unreached people groups. Start praying for people uh, in Sunday school or, or in discipleship or small groups or Bible studies. Start praying for the 1040 window and for unreached people groups. Start now. Start, start going on short-term trips. Start going, uh, start sending missionaries, start supporting long-term missionaries overseas. Uh, number two is to disciple world Christians. Disciple world Christians. One of the biggest barriers for missionaries is their, is their Christian parents. Is, is there parents who, who believe the gospel and who love Jesus but don't want to see their children go overseas? Man, disciple world Christians and be excited when God wants to use them to take the gospel to the nations. And when they come home from college and they say, I'm going overseas for a summer or for a year or for the rest of my life, try to be excited. Try to be excited that God would use them to share the gospel with people who have never heard. And start praying for, with your kids for the nation. Start praying for unreached people groups. Start praying that God would send laborers with your kids. Start praying that he would send people to the 1040 window. So disciple world Christian, Christians. Number three is know your enemy. And this is so applicable right now because we, we're on the brink of war with, with Iran and they seem to be our enemy. But Muslims are not our enemy. Islam is not our enemy. Islam, Muslims are not our enemy. Islam is being used to blind people from the gospel. It's being used uh, so that people would think that they can be good enough to be with God. They cannot be good enough. And these people need to hear the gospel. And one day, people from all these countries, there will be Muslim background believers standing before the throne. They will eventually one day be before the throne. They will be our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So know your enemy. Know that as, as Christians, the Bible tells us that our enemy is not flesh and blood. That it, it is Satan. It is, it is his forces that are our enemy, not Muslims. They are not our enemy. Uh, my friend Dylan and I just got back from, from the Middle East. We were in Oman, and we met several people who had been missionaries in Yemen. And Yemen's like a war-torn place that you would think has no chance of hearing the gospel. Uh, and there's from what we heard, maybe one missionary there right now, but there's a thriving church in Yemen because people were obedient to taking the gospel to the Yemeni people. They were obedient to taking the gospel to the point of now there is a self-sustaining Yemeni church. And they are multiplying like crazy because people are disillusioned with Islam. They are realizing that they cannot be good enough to be with God. That they, they have to have a savior. And that Savior is Jesus, and the, the church is exploding there. And it's exploding in a lot of, Iran has the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. Fastest growing evangelical church is Iran, this country that we're maybe going to go to war with. Hopefully not. But this country has the fastest growing evangelical church in the world. These are our brothers and sisters. They are not our enemies. So finally, the last thing is to just take a next step. Just take a next step. Start, start praying that God would send laborers. Or maybe you don't believe me and you're like, that, that isn't the, the Bible that I've been reading. Start reading the Bible and asking yourself, is this God's mission? Is this the plan, the, the, the plan that he has? Is this the purpose 
that he has for, for my life, for Christians, for his offspring? Is, is he calling us to make disciples of all nations? Make sure that this is his heart before you, take, uh, before you play a role in it. So I want to challenge you all to take a next step, no, how, no matter how small or how big that is, whether that is uh, praying for unreached people groups or, or welcoming internationals or going to the 1040 window or sending resources or praying for unreached people groups or giving to missionaries. Take a next step. Because one day we will be standing before the throne of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's going to happen. We're going to be there. And how amazing would it be? What a privilege it would be to take a part in, in taking the gospel to those people. Okay, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that uh, you have made a way for us to be with you forever. God, I pray that we would not hoard that. I pray that that blessing would not end with us, that it wouldn't stop with us, that we would, we would realize your call on our life uh, to be a blessing, that you have blessed us to bless people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And Lord, I pray that we, we would play a part in that right now. No matter how small or how, how big that is, Lord, move us all to take a next step. God, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen.